for the opportunity to come and to worship. Lord, we just thank you so much for the amazing grace. God, we always ask you to come and to be with us and to send your spirit. And Lord, we ask that again today. Father, we need you. We need you to come and invade our lives. God, I know there's probably a lot of people who's felt your spirit in the past. Lord, we felt you working and moving and calling us and convicting us, but for whatever reason, we just, we shut it down. And we shut it down and we shut it down again because... We're just not ready to surrender. But Father, I pray that you would speak into our hearts and lives today in a way that maybe we've never felt before. Maybe a way that's just different than it has been before. God, that you would prepare our hearts to receive you and to be willing to be humble and to be willing to submit. Lord, these things do not come natural. So God, there has to be an understanding in our mind that before we even read your word, before we even talk about the things that you've called believers to do, that we have to have in our hearts and our minds to be ready to to listen not just listen but to be obedient even if it's not easy or if it's not natural even if it seems impossible Jesus we ask that you would speak into our hearts today speak to our minds fathers we gather to worship we We don't want to neglect our brothers and sisters who aren't with us today. So we pray for Miss Helen and her family this morning. God be with them. Give them peace and comfort the day after the funeral. Jesus, we pray for Rebecca Bowen. We pray for Kathy Finley. We pray for Wanda Henderson. God, we we ask that you would be with all these people having surgeries and in the hospital and doing different things. Lord, touch them today. Father, we pray for Pastor Gary and Miss Magdalene. Pray for Miss Donna and her surgery coming up this week. Pray for Pastor Dan. Lord, we lift up all these people to you. Pat Connor, Ted Easler. Lord, touch them today. Father, as we are here and we're gathered together as a body, I pray that you would help us to be pleasing and honoring to you. Today is not about how we feel. It's not about what we like. It's not about what we prefer. Jesus, today is about glorifying the name of Jesus Christ about giving honor where honor is due and Jesus you deserve it all so I pray that you would help us this morning to give it all 
whatever fashion that means for us as individuals, but also whatever that means for us as a church. We love you. We thank you. And it's such an honor to be called a Christian. It's such an honor to be a part of a church. And I pray that you would help us serve you well today. We love you. We ask all this in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. It's our ninth week. You know, when we got together at the first Sunday in June and we started talking about, oh, we're going to be covering questions that Jesus asked for the next nine weeks all summer long. It goes by really fast. It's just like, boom, it's gone. I don't know about y'all, but I'm still a kid. So my summer is based off of the school calendar. Um, we, we, we do this with, with our staff. Like we handed out school calendars uh, at our staff meeting a couple weeks ago. And so we still live by the school calendar. That's, that's what we do. So it seems like summer's coming to an end, even though it's going to be hot for about another month uh, and, and miserably hot. You know how August gets. But this is our last sermon on questions that Jesus asked. And, you know, as you wrap up a sermon or a series like this, <clears throat> it's always really difficult to kind of like finish it off and say, okay, this is a, a sermon or the question that is worthy of wrapping this whole thing up and moving us on to the next thing and kind of fin- and, and leaving us at a good spot to finish and continue to seek. And I want to I encourage you guys, do not stop um, with this sermon series. Like, read scripture. Go back, read the gospels. Look at all the questions that Jesus asked. They're pretty significant. There are a lot more. We could have went for months on this. There are a lot more questions that Jesus asked. And we just tried to cover the main ones that, that we felt like would be super significant. And especially today, this last one, a, a question that Jesus asked that is so instrumental I mean, this is like a a pinnacle point of if you can answer this question and you can answer it well, then then your whole, not only your your physical life, but even your eternal life will be changed significantly in the way that you answer this question. And so the question is, who do you say I am? And this comes from the passage of Scripture in Matthew 16. This is verses 13 through 19. As Jesus gathers his disciples together, and he begins asking this question. Let's read it together. Verses 13 through 19 of chapter 16. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And this is interesting. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. 
And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Very unique, very powerful passage of scripture. The answer to a question that we all have to answer. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but this is a question like, not only do you need to be answering this question now in your physical life, but you're going to stand before your heavenly father one day and Jesus is going to be like, who do you say I am? Point number one, the world has their opinions on who Jesus is. Never forget or underestimate the power of the thought process of the people or the world or anyone around you. And it's always intrigued me that Jesus takes the disciples to this area and he asks them, who do people say I am? And let me just kind of give you a little bit of insight. Now, some of you may know this, probably not everybody, but Caesarea was this region that was just, the, the whole place was littered with idols and temples and, and different things where the people there worshipped all kinds of different deities. And for example, they had um, shrines to Baal. And, and if you go back and you read through the Old Testament, Baal was one of those false gods that the people of Israel had a really hard time staying away from. And they fell into the worship of Baal pretty regularly, which is kind of uh, concerning. Uh, and God always punished them for that. This is also the place where they had the cave in Caesarea that was supposedly the birthplace of Pan, which was the god of nature. And so they honored Pan. That was a really big deal. And they also had, had built recently at this time when we're reading this, this amazing huge white marble temple dedicated to Caesar, which they kind of de- deified Caesar, the emperor of Rome, and they offered sacrifices and worshipped him. And all kinds of stuff. It was kind of a place that was known for worshipping and acknowledging all kinds of different deities. And it's not an accident that Jesus led them to a place where all sorts of gods are talked about and all sorts of gods are honored. And then he looks at them and says, who do people say I am? And the response that the, the, the disciples give are really interesting because they, they say, well, some say John the Baptist. And that's pretty unique because, you know, John the Baptist was living at the same exact time as Jesus. And so most of the people who said that probably just didn't, had never seen John the Baptist, weren't really sure about Jesus, had very little interaction or even visible sight of either one of them. But John the Baptist was already established. He was already teaching and preaching and baptizing people by this time. And most of the people in Israel really respected John the Baptist. They thought very highly of this guy. And so calling Jesus John the Baptist was kind of like, it it wasn't a slot in any way. It was kind of like they were trying to honor him by saying that. Well, some say Elijah. And Elijah was the prophet who was known for the miracles that he performed in the name of God. And so Elijah performed more miracles that we know of than any other person other than Jesus. And so when Jesus is running around, he's doing his ministry, and he's performing all these miracles, they're like, well, this must be Elijah. And so they're, they're, they're trying to honor Jesus by giving him this title of Elijah, of like, man, he, he's a really special dude. He's doing all this really cool stuff. And then some are saying that he's Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was the prophet that was known for delivering these amazing messages from God. Like you go and you read the book of Jeremiah, it has some really inspiring passages of Scripture, some really 
cool words from the Lord in that. And so as Jesus is going around, he's doing ministry and he's teaching. He's an amazing teacher. And he's powerful and he's speaking with power and authority like they've never experienced. And so they're referring to him as Jeremiah because, well, they, they recognize someone who was very special to them. And they're kind of giving him that title. And, and they're giving Jesus, they're trying to give him respect in this. <coughs> You know, the world still has their opinions on who Jesus is. I don't know if you've ever had to sit down and like have a conversation with someone about faith or about Christianity or defend Christianity or defend Christ. But basically, anyone that you come in contact with who says Jesus Christ did not exist, you, you don't even really need to waste your time arguing with them. Like there is... There is more than enough evidence to prove the existence of Christ. I mean, even from the simple fact of not only the biblical accounts, the archaeological digs that are happening that are verifying the biblical accounts, the secular writings of Jewish uh, historians, uh, Roman historians, all all these different people who, who have written stuff about all that affirm over and over again, Jesus Christ was a real person. Jesus existed. He was crucified. Like It affirms most of what we read about in the New Testament. So you can't deny that Jesus did not exist and the simple fact of of Christianity changed the world. I mean, our dating system is completely based off of the life of Christ. Like Jesus and the church has been so influential in our world that, that we date, we base time off of the life of Christ. Our God who created time also has the timeline based off of his one and only son. That's pretty cool. Like you can't deny that power that the whole world goes by. I always like throwing out some statistics. There's some of you in here who hate that. So this morning, here you go. This is for you. Barna Group did a study, and they were asking American Christians like what they believed about Jesus. <clears throat> 56% of American adults, this is 18 and above, all age ranges of 18 and above, believe that Jesus is God. Now, 26% believed he was just a religious or a spiritual leader, and 18% were just unsure. So it's like just over half people of the adults in America still believe that Jesus is God, which is great, right? I mean, that, that's, that's good. It's not as good as we would like for it to be. You know, we would want everyone to believe that, but at least half the people. But don't get too excited because all the boomers, the baby boomers, I don't know if you know this or not, but boomers, you get made fun of a lot from the younger generations. Um, the boomers are the one holding us at that 50% mark. A significant number of that 56% are the boomers who believe in this. So when the boomers cease to exist, unless God does something extremely powerful in our culture and in our world, the younger generations are going to take that number down to about 30 20%, high 20 something like that. People will cease to believe that, God, that Jesus is God's son, that he is God. And so even in, among people in America, Christians, people who claim to be Christians, like they're still unsure who Jesus is. And they claim to be Christians. And they're still unsure who Jesus is. You take Muslims. Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet and that he should be revered. They teach that Jesus was born of a virgin and he did ascend to heaven. And they also teach that Jesus will return again, but he will return as a Muslim and sit beside Allah during the great judgment. 
kind of interesting. Judaism is kind of unique because for about the first thousand years, you see the Jewish writings about Jesus. Um, they deny his virgin birth. They deny that he rose from the dead. They deny that he ascended to heaven. But they very much respect him as a teacher and hold him in high esteem. So about the first thousand years after Jesus' life, Judea or P- Jewish people refer to Jesus in, in a very positive way. But after about that thousand-year mark, you, you find that a lot of Jewish people around the world kind of begin to, to be um, persecuted. And so once they begin to be persecuted, they kind of begin to start blaming Christianity as a result of that persecution. And so you see a lot of the writings about Jesus change around that time period, and Jesus is still kind of seen in somewhat of a negative light around Judaism. Because you think about it, Christianity is very much piggybacked on Judaism. Like, we believe everything that they believed, except that we believe Jesus fulfills all the prophecies that they're still waiting to be fulfilled. And so we've kind of stolen a little bit of their thunder, stolen a little bit of their beliefs, and they, they feel like we're, we're leading people astray. Hinduism is a little trickier to nail down because it's a very diverse religion and it has a lot of different beliefs and a lot of different leaders that it follows. But for the most part, Hinduism does acknowledge Jesus as a holy man and a wise teacher. And some Hindus actually worship Jesus as a deity, but you got to remember Hinduism worships many different deities. And so they worship Jesus as a deity. Some do, some don't. So it's kind of hard to nail down. Buddhism... It's like Hinduism. It incorporates a lot of different traditions and beliefs. But the traditions or the teachings of Christ are very popular among Buddhists. They consider him to be enlightened and a wise teacher. And so what I just listed were the four, uh, other than Christianity, the four major religions in our world. All four of those are actually older than Christianity. You with me? And Jesus was so powerful and the impact that he had on the world was so amazing that the four oldest religions in the world, the four most dominant religions in the world, had to at some point in some way acknowledge Jesus because he was so influential in what he did and who he was and what he accomplished. He was so big that they could not ignore it. And so they have writings and beliefs about him incorporated into that because Jesus was who he was. And you need to understand today as we talk about this, <clears throat> the world is going to have their opinions about who Christ is. Different religions, different people, different family members, different people in your community, different people at work. You can look at churches, denominations, pastors. You, look, you can look at every single person in this world. Everyone's going to have a different opinion about who Jesus is. This is why Jesus pulled disciples and said, who do people say that I am? And as he started listening, like, well, they say this and this and this. Who do you say I am? Because it does not matter what everyone else says. And I think this is really important. This is really important for us to understand this morning. It does not matter what everyone else in the world says Jesus is or who Jesus is. What matters is, is who do you say that Jesus is? Because point number two, Jesus expects you to be able to answer the question. He wants you to have an answer for it. And you can't ignore that. And, and, and we, we base so much of, of life off of what we think or, or what we feel or what we hear from other people. And really, like, it should not matter. 
that, that the desire of our heart and, and the longing of who we are as people should be stru- so strong to follow after God that it does not matter what anyone else says that we know who God is because we know God. That we know Him, we feel Him, we have experienced Him for ourselves. And we have to have an answer for the question. And it's easy to say that Jesus is Lord. So if we ask you this morning and say, okay, who do you say Jesus is? It's like, well, He's, he's Lord. He's God's one and only Son. He's the Messiah. He's my Savior. And it's easy to say that and give God lip service in the midst of this, but let's talk about kind of what's going on. Because we can be jerks and we can split hairs and, okay, well, what's the answer supposed to be? If we can't just say Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God's one and only Son, what's the answer supposed to be? Think about the answers that the disciples gave of what people were saying of who Jesus was. And you go back and you read the Gospels. And you look at every time he encountered Jewish people. And Jewish people came up to Jesus. And how did they refer to him? They came up and they referred to him. They said, Jesus, Rabbi, Teacher. Which is a very respected title. But they always referred to him as Rabbi or Teacher. And then they asked for to be healed or for this to be done or they wanted to have access to him in some way for something. And they treated him with respect, called him rabbi or teacher, which was very common. But then you go to the Gentiles, which there's very little interaction with the Gentiles. And you see this towards the end of the book of Matthew more than any. As Jesus starts ministering to the Gentile people, what do they refer to Jesus as? Jesus, son of David. Messiah. They're giving Jesus the actual title that he deserves. They're identifying him for who he truly is. And you say, okay, well, well, what's the difference here? Like, why is that important? It's like, well, Jesus is who he is. And yes, he was a teacher. And yes, he was God's son. And yes, he was Messiah. And yes, he was the son of David. And yes, he was rabbi. But, but which one is he? And, and for each of us who are sitting here this morning, like we may refer to Jesus or look at him in different ways. And we say, oh, yeah, well, he's, he, he, he's a good dude. And, and I like his teachings. And I feel like if we obey his teachings, then we can benefit from that. My life could be better at, from following the teachings of Christ. And so there he's just a teacher. But if you say he's Messiah, he's the Lord, he's son of God, like what does that mean? What weight does that carry with it? And you look at whenever he looks at his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? And you think about what Peter responds with in this moment. This is so important because Peter never gets it right. Peter screwed up constantly. He always said the wrong thing. He always did the wrong thing. Jesus rebuked him. Jesus called him Satan. Jesus told him to get behind me. You're being a temptation to me. Like Peter constantly messed up when it came for him to say his piece or be the leader or do the thing. And Jesus was constantly having to correct him and rebuke him in this. And in this one moment when Peter says, you are the Messiah, you are the son of the living God. It's like he gets it right. And this is one of the only times we see where Peter actually gets it right. But why is that? Because, okay, like 
If, if I was to say, if we were to say this morning, well, Jesus is Lord, he's Messiah, he's God's one and only son, why is that not as significant for us to say it as what it was for Peter to say it? And it's because when Peter says it, Peter is living under the culture and the law of the Old Testament. And he's living under the authority of the religious leaders of his day. And the religious leaders were constantly looking for a way to, to discredit Christ and to put him to death. And, and his followers, they were looking for the same exact thing. And, and there's a reason why Jesus kept saying every time that he performed a miracle or someone identified him as the Messiah, now go and don't tell anyone about this. Because Jesus knew that whenever word got out, it was going to bust loose and it was going to hit the fan. You know, we talk about it a lot. I get jokes about that after my sermons. People's like, what's it? Everybody, all the kids keep coming up and asking me what it is. You know what it is. When it hits the fan, all heck's going to break loose and people are going to start being persecuted and the church starts. And then like, then all the weight of the, the ministry and the church falls on Peter and the apostles and it's up to them to see God's kingdom advance and moved. And that wasn't ready to be done yet. And so Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Because for Peter to say this, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, Peter was committing blasphemy. For him to make that statement, he was committing blasphemy. And at best, in this moment, if the religious leaders hear this, if word gets back and they hear this, at best, he's ostracized from his family and community. At worst, he's stoned to death and killed. It was a death sentence. And when you look this morning and you understand when Peter says, you are the Messiah, you're the son of the living God, it was very different from us saying it because for us to say he's the Messiah, it's the son of the living God, it doesn't cost us anything. It doesn't put us in danger. It actually doesn't even necessarily require anything of us to be willing to say that. Because you look at all the other people and they were calling him Jeremiah and they were calling him Elijah and they were calling him John the Baptist and they called him Rabbi and they respected him and they gave him credit and they honored him, but it was all lip service. But in this moment, Peter was actually to say, you are the Messiah, you're the son of the living God and I'm putting my life in danger whenever I'm willing to proclaim that. Because remember, it wasn't long after this when, Peter, when Jesus was arrested and he was on trial and Peter denied him in that moment because he was afraid of what would happen if they heard him saying that, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I was one of his disciples. Yes, I do follow him. He was terrified in that moment because it meant something. Point number three. Your answer will define everything in this life and one to come. Who you say Jesus is will define your physical life and it will define your eternal life. And you cannot get around that. And, and for you to sit here today and say, yeah, Jesus is Lord, Jesus Messiah, he's my Savior. I love him. He's God's one and only Son. It's like so many, that, that, is that lip service or is that true? I mean, you think about it, it's like, yeah, he, he, he's Lord, he's Master. Well, you know, I feel like I've been using this verse a lot lately, but I think it's really important for us to remember that Jesus said 
there, will, there are many people who, will call me, who have called me Lord. And I will say, get away from me. I never knew you. And so we have to be really careful that we're not just giving God lip service and we're not just saying answers that has been communicated to us through teachers and preachers and family members and, and all this other stuff. And we're not just saying it because it's the right thing to say. But, but the answer that we give, it actually means what we're saying. And that the result of what we say impacts the decisions that we make and how we live and the, and the things that we say from that point on. That it doesn't just stop in that moment because we say Jesus is Lord and we think that we get something because we can say Jesus is Lord. Because at the same time that Peter said it and he was willing to put his life on the line in that moment, there come a time later on when Jesus is on trial and he says, no, I don't know the man. Something in us has to change. Like we have to understand that when Peter says this, and Peter is genuine when he says this. You need, you need to understand that. Yeah, he denies Christ at the, at, at the trial, but he's very genuine in this because Peter, Jesus acknowledges Peter's genuineness. Jesus acknowledges the fact that Peter has understood who he really is. And you think about, okay, well, first of all, after Peter says this, Jesus blesses Peter. He says, Peter, you're blessed. Not because this is taught by humans, but because God has revealed this to you. And I think for us as individuals this morning, sometimes we need to just take a step back and say, okay, like, I, I, I say that I love God. I say that I believe in Jesus. I say that he's God's son. I go to church. I, I try to read my Bible. I try to pray. And, and like, we try to do all the right things because there's something in us that, that believes this, but it's like at the same time, where does the rubber meet the road? Where is the line? Where, where is like the thing that says like, yes, I absolutely 100% believe this and I am willing to do anything in order to prove that? Because when he says it, Jesus looks at him and says, you're blessed because God revealed this to you. And I think there's a lot of Christians here in our area, around the world, who like we say we believe in Christ, we say all the right things, we do all the right things because we've been taught what to say and what to do. And we know the answers, like we, we know the answers we're supposed to give. But all that has been told to us by people and it's never been revealed to us by God. And if there's anybody in this room who has ever felt like I have encountered the living God. Like I've had an experience with him that is so powerful, I will never be the same again. If you've had that encounter, then you'll know the difference between it being revealed to you versus it being taught to you. And there's a huge difference in that. And Peter has it has been revealed to him by the Father. And he's blessed because of that. And if you're sitting here today and you're just like, man, I, I don't know if I've ever had that revelation. I don't know if I've ever felt like God has just revealed himself to me. It's okay. It does not mean that you're doomed. But, but it does mean that you're missing something. And if you feel like, man, my, my, I, I say I believe in God. I want to live for God. But I just feel like, like it's, 
there's just some deadness to it, and I don't know what it is. I don't know how to explain it. We have to begin to cry out to God and say, God, reveal yourself to me. And to not stop crying out just because he doesn't do it by the next day. But that we keep going to him and we keep praying and praying and praying. Asking God, reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. Reveal truth to me. Show me what it is that you want me to know. The second thing you see when Peter makes this statement is that Jesus puts this incredible calling on Peter's life. Blessed are you, Simon Peter, because this was revealed to you. It was not taught to you by man. And Peter, which means rock, upon this rock I will build my church. Because someone who has God revealed to them, it changes you forever. And when you are truly changed and you're truly affected by the presence of God in your life, you can receive a calling at that point. And there's a lot of people who say, well, I believe in Jesus. I, I just don't feel like there's a calling on my life. I don't feel like I have any spiritual gifts to do anything with. It's like, are you just saying you believe? Or are you just trying to do what you've been taught to do? Or do you feel like you've had that experience with God that's going to change you forever? Because when you have it, you'll feel the calling on your life. You won't be able to ignore it. And for Peter is given this amazing calling, such an important calling that Jesus said, the powers of hell are going to try to overcome what I'm calling you to do. Like it's not just going to be the people of the world fighting against you. It's going to be the spiritual realms and everything that Satan has to throw at you is going to be fighting at you, but it is not going to overcome you or the purpose from which I'm calling you to. And as believers in Christ, like to understand it and have it revealed to us today, it's like, no, being a Christian is not easy. If you thought it was going to be easy, you were misled or someone just lied to you. Being a Christian is hard. Serving God is hard. And it was never meant to be easy. But we don't have to be discouraged. Yes, it seems impossible, but he has provided everything we need to make the impossible possible. And although the world will fight against you and luck or whatever it is you want to call it, and then you take the spiritual realms, you think about Satan, and they'll be fighting against you, you don't have to fear because he said the powers of hell will not overcome. If we are called, if we believe in Christ, if we serve him, if we truly believe what we're saying, and we believe that this is his kingdom, his world, his purpose, his honor, his glory, we will do whatever we can to make sure that we, we're seeing that progress. And nothing can overcome it. The third thing about Peter's answer, it gave him authority and influence. You know, to have God revealed to you is, is it's an amazing thing that, that none of us deserve. But it's an incredible blessing, and it does. It gives you a different mindset. It gives you a different mentality. There's a reason why there are people, and you think like, oh, man, that person's just a Bible thumper. And some people are Bible thumpers. Some people have not been changed by God, and they're just trying to like pretend and do it. But for somebody who's been truly changed by God, and you can see it in their life, and you can see what they're doing and how they live, and their devotion to the Lord, there's a reason why they're able to do things and be committed and stay the course because God gives them the power and authority to do that. He gives them the Holy Spirit. 
He fills us with himself. When we realize and understand the significance of who God is, truly who he is, and we begin to empty ourselves out so that he can fill us with himself and his presence, it changes us and it gives us power and authority. You look at Peter, he was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever he permitted on earth would be permitted in heaven, and whatever he forbid on earth would be forbidden in heaven. I don't even know what that means. But that sounds pretty significant. To understand that that Peter had major influence to shape and affect the world, to shape and affect Christianity, the church, the kingdom of God. And you look at the power that Christ has had and the power the church has had for the past 2,000 years. And like, yeah, you, you look around our area, you look around America and you think, man, the church is struggling. Christianity's struggling. It's struggling here. But you go to Africa or South America or Asia and you look at the church and it's exploding. And that's what happens. Like it, it kind of like when you follow the history of the church around the world, it kind of has life cycles. It goes in an area, it explodes, it takes off. And whenever people start getting comfortable and it becomes part of society and it becomes something that's just taught, that's whenever it starts dying off. And I think we're just kind of at that point in our lives where Christianity's just been taught. It's been something that most people for a long time has been very familiar with. And we've lost the power. We've lost the authority. We've lost the realization and the experience of truly understanding who God is and the revelation of who God is in our lives. But you've got to answer the question, who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? And only you can answer it. Like We're going to have to stand before the Father one day and we're going to have to give an answer of who Jesus, who we say Jesus is And the fear of him looking at you and I and saying, depart from me, I never knew you. That should somewhat be there. Because a lot of people call him Lord. A lot of people call him Savior. A lot of people call him God's one and only son. And we might do a lot of things in the name of Jesus. But if we don't really know him, if he has not been revealed to us, we are in trouble. We need to experience Christ for ourselves. And so this morning, for you to answer who Jesus is in your life, it may not necessarily be giving him a title of Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Messiah, Jesus is God's one and only Son. Because to answer that question doesn't cost us anything. It's easy for us to say that. It's easy for us to just give an answer that we've been taught to say. But maybe the question should be answered with more along the lines of, you are worth everything. You are worth dying for. You are worth serving. You are worth sacrificing for. You are more important than anything in this world to me. You are more important than anyone in this world to me. The answer to the question may not necessarily be a title because the title can be of lip service. You know this because you can say sir and you can use manners and you can call someone by their title and you not respect them and you not honor them. 
And so for your Lord and Savior, it's not necessarily for us in our culture a matter of the title that we give him. It's probably more important as to what is he worthy of? What is he worth to you? Because our culture places a lot more value on things and relationships in the world. And if you can look at Jesus and say, you are worth more than those, or you mean more to me than those, it might give you a little bit more of an honest answer in your life where you and Jesus are in your relationship. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful day. And Jesus, so many times we struggle with how to please you. We struggle with how to honor you. And Lord, I know there's a lot of people in our world who don't want to buy into church and don't want to buy into the way that Christianity is set up here because they understand that that may not necessarily be what you want from us. And Jesus, I pray that you would speak into our hearts today and remind us that worshiping you and serving you is not about what we've been taught. It's not about what we've grown up seeing. It's not about what we feel or what we like. Worshiping you and honoring you is about being so close and in touch with you that we're willing to do anything. We're willing to sacrifice anything, Lord, that it looks like we hate everything else in comparison to how much we love you. And Lord, from what your word says, that the gate is small and the path is narrow and very few will follow it. So God, if we're, if we're serving you, if we're honoring you in our life, more than likely we are going to be going against everyone else. So Father, I pray that you would speak into our hearts today and you would reveal yourself to us. Lord, reveal yourself to us as individuals, but God, reveal yourself to us as a church. Help us to honor you. Help us to glorify you, to be the men and women you've called us to be. Jesus, I believe that there are many people here who do love you. I believe that they want to serve you. But God, I pray that you would help us to forget all the things that we've been taught and we've learned. And Lord, that we would rely on you to reveal to us who you are and what you call us to. We love you and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.